Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano. Which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco, Dr. Esther Chu, and Dana Schwartz join me to tackle the following questions. What is pandemic life like for an emergency room doctor? How do we combat loneliness during a time of forced separation? What happens to your brain when you watch all four Rocky movies in a short period of time? All this and more starting right now. Hey, everybody. Do you ever feel like you're stuck on a tarmac waiting to take off and the pilot keeps getting on the loudspeaker telling you you're waiting for a mechanical problem to be fixed and he has no estimate for how long it's going to take? And every time somebody tries to get up and go to the bathroom, the flight attendants yell at them because we're on an active runway, except we're not moving at all. I brought that up for no reason at all. Here to discuss the beginning of month two of all this, my friend, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff to President Barack Obama and full-on prairie wife, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Erin? Alyssa? Oh, hey, girl! Greetings from the United Western Kingdom of Sierra Nevada. Uh, Our alliance greets the Kingdom of the East. (laughs) I send you tidings from the Kingdom of Subaru here in the East Coast. (laughs) Oh, man, I love that. The Kingdom of Subaru. Um, And I've got one. I mean, unsurprising. Haven't seen it, but I believe you. Um, I think it's it's been interesting in the the utter failure of our federal government to do what a federal government is supposed to do during a federal emergency. The states are banding together in these awesome sounding kingdoms of coolness like Washington, Oregon, California. We're all united. <laughs> and then out east. <laughs> Let me just tell you. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. We have a bipartisan coalition. Delaware, Massachusetts joined on last night, Connecticut and Rhode Island. Wow. That's where we are so far. And then yeah. in, in and then in the mythical Middle West of the country, we have a bunch of Great Lakes states 
becoming the kingdom of the lakes. And together, the three of us will, I don't know. Encircle the problem in South Dakota and the ham farm. We should, I mean, we will be referring to the Dakotas as the problem. We're combining them into one state and calling them the problem. No. They're just Dakota at this point. They haven't earned separation. And it is, and it is a hundred percent because of the people in charge of those states, not because of the people who live there or the states themselves, because both Dakotas, I think are very underrated, beautiful places to visit, go camping, go hiking. The people there are pretty nice. The people in charge are just idiots. The leaders are stuck on stupid. Yeah. And if they just replace those people with cooler people, maybe they could join their own kingdom and call it like kingdom of the wheat or something like that. Cause all any kingdom wants to be at this point is COVID negative. Exactly. So, um, we have to have a conversation with an actual medical professional. We've been meaning to do this for quite some time, but they are understandably pretty busy. Um, so, a treat for us this week, Alyssa, is we get to talk to Dr. Esther Chu, who is uh, an outspoken advocate for public health, and she is an ER doctor, and she is a mother of four kids. So let's get to our interview with Esther Chu, and then after the interview, we're going to come back with a couple of toasts and uh, get you out of the news. Esther, thank you so much for being here. We've wanted you on the show for quite some time and I'm glad it finally worked out. So thank you. But first and foremost, I want to ask you, how is your family? How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm good. I mean, we're really lucky here in Oregon because we've, knock on wood, cross our fingers, have been mostly successful in flattening the curve. So, you know, I'm home with four kids. My husband also works in the hospital. So we definitely have some baseline anxiety about keeping everybody safe and just making it mentally through this now that school has been closed for the rest of the year. But I think we have nothing to complain about, but thank you. Mm-hmm. And and tell us what you're seeing apart from four kids who are probably getting a little stir crazy. <laughs> they are. Yeah. I mean, there will never be a stranger time than this. Uh, there has never been anything like this uh, for us. I mean, not even close. I, I mean, I'm in emergency medicine, so we're used to disasters. You know, we're used to mass casualties. We're used to really big national events that have health consequences, you know, natural disasters. Like that's kind of what we're wired to. It's not that they're not horrible. It's just that that's why we're here, you know? So there's always this element of kind of bring it and we're ready. This is just so different. I mean, first of all, it's affecting everybody everywhere, you know? So we don't have a colleague anywhere that it's not impacted by this some way. So we're all kind of going through this together. And we also realize that our regular disaster response systems are really built around discrete events, you know, big bus overturning or, you know, a a mass casualty. It's not built around this kind of sustained national casualty um, that really Really can hit anybody at any time. How how does any uh, you know disaster preparedness uh, be sufficiently ready for something like that? So I mean, we are in absolutely wild preparation mode around this thing because we have to walk through on the hospital level. We have to walk through what if this you know. So we have all these stages of readiness. Like if we are, you know, have a little surge versus a moderate surge versus absolutely, you know, crisis surge where we totally exceed our resources. So, I mean, basically the entire 
trying to remember when we started all this. I mean, certainly since March, we've been in uh, really daily nonstop planning and building in, uh, you know, everything that we need to respond to this. I mean, we built a whole new section of our emergency room. I mean, that's something that takes years of planning. We just built it. I mean, it just happened um, because that's what we're anticipating that we need. So work is very strange. And at the same time, I mean, we're certainly seeing a good number of people who either have COVID-19 or have a COVID-like illness. So we need to test them and work them out and figure out what to do with them. Uh, sorry, work them up. Um, but everything else has gone away, you know, hmm. so because people are terrified to come into the hospital. So, I mean, I work, uh, I tend to work weekend overnights. I mean, that's a trauma role. You know, I expect trauma after trauma for my entire shift it's gone <laughs> because if you're not, if you're staying at home and you're social distancing, you're not going to parties, you're not drinking, you're not getting into cars, you're not making um, all kinds of bad decisions that might land you in the emergency room. Um, so that makes sense. What's really weird is where are the heart attacks, where are the strokes? We're not seeing really much of anything. So mm. I think people are staying home. So that's the weirdness of my life at work right now. Mm -hmm. Esther, you're talking to so many doctors and nurses and physicians assistants across the country. And I think that so many of us are still very confused by the news we're getting. Do you still hear from medical staff that they're still wanting for PPEs and gowns? Is there still concern over ventilators? Tell us what you're hearing. Yeah, all of this is an issue. And I think one of the reasons you'll hear so many different things is that this is a slow moving wave, you know, so you have um, people in all different stages of this pandemic, even just in our country, you know, so you have the the New York and the New Orleans and the Seattle, um, where they're at peak or even past peak. Um, and then you have these cities that are merging as the next hot zones or peaks. So DC, Boston, Chicago, you know, but when it's this slow moving wave, um, if you're inclined to be an optimist and you want to hear good news, you can find some hospital somewhere where they're, you know, where they're sitting around and they're just fine in their PPE and they're not experiencing a huge patient surge of COVID-19. So I think, um, it's especially if you're on the internet and you're selective about what information you want, you can find um, corroboration for a lot of different theories. But, you know, but taking these cities as kind of the canaries in the coal mine, um, everybody needs to take this this seriously. And I think we're also just simply not hearing from places that don't have population density, um, that don't have interest from news outlets. You know, I think there's a lot mm -hmm. actually going on quietly in rural areas where mm -hmm. there's just no fanfare about it and people are just quietly dying at home. I mean, we see that a lot in our Oregon news. I mean, if you look at the death announcements, it's like so-and-so 70 years old died at her home in, and they list this kind of, you know, rural or more, more remote location. I think it's really happening in places that we just don't pay attention to. So, um, yeah, this is, and at hospitals, we, we're running out of everything. And I mean, these are things that we don't keep in deep stock. You know, it's not like the average hospital is like, let's just to be sure, um, have enough stock that if all the staff are wearing them and we're putting them on patients too, that we'll have enough for a year. You know, that's just not the way we stock these things. These are sometimes used things, not for the average patient that we see, um, that, uh, the supply chain, 
is such that we keep it in stock for maybe like a month or two or three. Um, and now all of a sudden we need to be wearing these all the time because asymptomatic people can transmit disease. Um, we don't know where this disease is coming from. And we we realize that, oh, not only do we not plan to have a deep supply, um, we have never planned to have to ratchet up that supply chain really quickly and at scale around the world. That's just not a thing. So, um, you know, so that's, it's going to be a, continue to be a problem. And the, you know, the same thing with ventilators and everything that goes along with a ventilator and the same thing for medications, by the way, very, um, very tragically. Hmm. Um, so I know you have enough to worry about, but do you watch the Trump pressers? And if you do, is anything he says, even in the same zip code as true? I, Watch sometimes. It very much depends on where I feel like I am emotionally and psychologically that day because it is never not upsetting. Never. And um, because I'm so close to it, um, sometimes I just have to watch it through the filter of social media um, or friends giving me uh, an encapsulated version later. I mean, we, we take turns. Like I have friends where I'm like, I just, I cannot do it today because I've seen you know, I have too many friends who are sick or, you know, you have something really, you have a, a colleague in your specialty who dies and you're like, I cannot watch that today because, mm -hmm. because I know the failures that led to that death or that severe illness or my friends, you know, whoever, um, dying. And so, um, we, we I have a whole network of people where we're like, you know, one person will be like, I'm in a good place today. I'll watch it today and I'll filter out because, I mean, we have to know because every time something is said, like when it, you know, something is dropped so casually, like hydroxychloroquine looks like it has hundred percent efficacy. And it's like, we have to know because then I have to change. We all have to change our public health messaging. You know, we have to come out really strong and correct some of these things and say, please do not do the thing that I think you're going to do because something that was said yesterday and then amplified across, you know, the entire country. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, it's not possible. I mean, there was a, a phase in my life between, you know, that hazy time between 2016 election and, um, and COVID-19 pandemic where you could tune out if you wanted to for preservate for self-preservation. But now it's like, you have to listen, um, so that you can do what we need to do, you know, our public health duty. So mm -hmm. I'm listening. I, I mean, I, I listen for Fauci, obviously, um, I listen to strategize, but there's, there's just very little that's, that's helpful while there is a lot that's extremely upsetting. So some researchers, like you mentioned before, are saying that the New York curve is flattening and um, Trump is talking about opening America up. It seems to change every single day. <laughs> yeah. Um, does opening, does setting a goal for May to open America up for business seem in any way reasonable to you? No. I mean, I, I think opening is a very complicated and interesting topic. I mean, I think there's going to be like reopening scientists who come out of this because it requires so much skill and knowledge. And actually we're going to be studying this as we, as we have natural experiments around the country of different ways to open. And clearly there's going to be some bad reopening that leads to a second surge and a third surge and a fourth surge. But I think, I mean, Gavin Newsom came out with a statement yesterday. It was either yesterday or like five years ago because time, time <laughs> has no meaning at all. But I believe it was yesterday in traditional time um, where he talked about uh, how the Western states would coordinate um, their reopening and how it really 
relies on testing, having adequate PPE for healthcare workers, and also that it's not binary. It's not an on-off switch. And I think that is the most important part. Like, I think, I mean, we're all eager to reopen. I am so eager to get out of this house. Please, summer camps open because I have four kids and they are so wonderful and they're driving us nuts. But, um, <laughs> but I think reopening will have to be in a setting where we have a ton of testing and we know what is happening as we open in stages. Um, you know, so we open up some kinds of services. Um, I think we will still limit large gatherings for long periods of time, um, but I think we will open up gradually, test as we go, pull back the minute we see an uptick, we see a signal because we're testing adequately, we see a signal, we pull back and go back into stay-at-home orders and, um, and, 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 you know, we might have to retreat to essential workers only in some areas, but I mean, this is where it's going to have to really be a state regional, local effort, you know, um, that's very responsive uh, and uh, and is tracking data in real time. It'll be completely fascinating, but this is not going to be easy. Esther, how far do you think the United States is from the testing capability required to even start to phase open the country? I mean, it's, it's kind of mind boggling how far behind we've gotten in testing. I mean, the only reason we're here with stay-at-home orders is because we didn't do early testing. And so, I mean, if you, I, I spent a lot of time the other day on these Red Dawn documents. Did you? Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, really, I, I read those 80 documents, it's like, that was like Stephen King to a to health professionals and public health people everywhere. You know, it was like a Stephen King novel where you just, every page you're like, this is so horrifying. I can't read this in the dark. You know, it was just, mm -hmm. it was wild. But I mean, what, what I got out of it mostly was that there was this window in January and February where tests needed to happen with total abandon. You know, we needed to be South Korea. Um, and then at, as every week goes by in that, we retreat to, okay, um, that is, that is so, it, that, that opportunity is so missed that we just have to go wholeheartedly to NPI, you know, to these non-pharmaceutical interventions, which basically means stay-at-home orders and other types of containment. Um, and as you get deeper in the document, you're like, it's just waves upon waves of missed opportunity with testing. Um, and to the point where... Um, you know, people can't even, it's it's even hard to just understand what all the barriers are. There's so many and complicated, but how do we scale from having gotten so far behind to where we need to be? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't even put a date on it. We are just so massively behind. So um, will we get to the point where we can open? I mean, I I think in the absence of testing at the scale that we needed to be, you know, for our huge population, um, I think we, um, I, I think we, this is where we're going to have to really rely on our already depleted public health uh, workforce, but we're just going to have to roll out testing in really smart and strategic ways. You know, I mean, there's some really interesting sampling things that you can do, um, 
you know, there's some uh, innovations that are centered around, unfortunately, around symptoms, but still, um, you know, these these uh, trackers, these community trackers for symptoms where you can kind of approximate what testing does. Um, I think we'll have select views of serology so we can see who's kind of past disease and make estimates about you know, how much a community has already been infected and, and you know, um, and kind of uh, think about whether there are kind of local herd immunity approaches we might take. But uh, it's, uh, I don't, yeah, I, I don't really know the answer. I don't know that we'll ever get to adequate compared to like what we know we need and needed. Do you, so here's a question. I try to be very, um, responsible on Twitter and get information from only people who I think are very fact-based. Yeah. But I have definitely followed one or two people who someone very smart came after me and was like, that person's a quack, like don't talk to them. So who, (laughs) who are the best, who are some of the best people you follow or news sources that you get your information from that other people can use as reference also? Well, one of the magical things that's happened on Twitter is they have started to uh, verify uh, health experts and public health professionals and epidemiologists. And so it's gotten so much easier to follow. You know, I basically will scan and look for people who I think are posting smart stuff. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are jumping on bandwagons. Like I was following somebody the other day who was verified, who was a physician, and then they started talking about putting everybody in the hospital, uh, in the pre-hospital setting on Plaquenil. Uh, this is hydroxychloroquine, just like prophylactically with no evidence. And I was like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? You know? Um, and it actually was like a bunch of my peers started flagging. So I think it, it takes homework. You know, I think you have to kind of read and be like, huh, that sounds off. Or look at what the commentary is from other people who are verified and have, um, you know, and have credentials that back up their knowledge. But it's not, I mean, the misinformation, unfortunately, is not limited to non-medical, non-health professional people. You know, even some of my peers, I mean, some of it was honest, you know, I mean, some of us were prognosticating in January and February and we were just wrong, you know? I mean, we knew so little about this disease. We were basing what we knew off other pandemics um, when actually this one has not followed the rules in a lot of ways and has been a particularly crafty and evil uh, virus. And um, and so we, we simply didn't know how bad it would get. So there's some of that's kind of honest poor prognosticating. Um, but I think there's also people who are, um, who are just, uh, I don't know what the motivation is, but they're definitely pushing out things that don't feel at all evidence-based and are kind of fanning these flames of, of hysteria. (laughs) Is that that what we're here to talk about? I can talk about hysteria, but, you know, sort of (laughs) fanning these, like, you know, our natural human impulse to kind of uh, follow panic. And, you know, it's like, I've been comparing everything to the toilet paper thing. It's like, why did people run out and get toilet paper? You know, it's like, there's a lot of toilet paper analogies in healthcare where people are running out and hoarding certain medications and supplies in a way that's really harmful across the community. And, and I see why they're doing it. I think sometimes we, even the medical community can contribute to, um, to that kind of behavior. So anyway, it, it takes a lot of active filtering. I don't think I've unfollowed as many people as I, you know, um, as I have during this pandemic, because, it's just painful to read some of the things that are being pushed out. And also so many Mm -hmm. people who clearly feel comfortable speaking with total authority, um, even though they have zero health 
you know, health or public health background. It's amazing. <laughs> that has just astonished me. Yeah. There, I used to work in a newsroom where every single time there was a new crisis, there was this one guy who was suddenly like, oh, you're the expert on Southern hemisphere hurricanes now? Come on. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, now you're an epidemiologist. Oh, cool. <laughs> now, now, you know, now you know all about earthquakes. Um, you know, one thing that is a little refreshing in this extremely weird moment is that uh, I feel like medical professionals have a lot lower tolerance for bullshit than political professionals. And so it's nice to see the bullshit be called out. You're talking about you and your colleagues getting together and, and saying like, well, this is, we're flagging this. This is incorrect. Like in politics, people would just kind of grumbly like subtweeted at each other. And so it's actually kind of refreshing that people are standing up for the truth and facts in this time where things are super weird. Um, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I want to close by asking, so um, what are some ways that people who don't work in the medical field can support people who do now and in the aftermath of the pandemic besides, you know, clapping out of our windows at 8 p.m.? The clapping helps, I have to say. I mean, there is a morale piece to this because we're basically going into this thing with no end, you know, um, but I think... Um, I mean, there's so many ways to help. I honestly think, though, that right now I'm very focused on getting people to help in any way they can in their community, because there are all these things that I that all of us are really worried about that we just can't get to because we're very, very sucked into the hospital right now, you know. And so normally, I, I think in any other circumstance in a crisis like this, I would be really out there trying to figure out how do we help the elderly in our communities? You know, who's watching out for the people who can't even get to the grocery store right now or or who who really are at high risk if they just go out and run simple errands? How can we protect them? Um, what are we doing about low-wage workers who are earning nothing right now? You know, what are we doing for essential workers who have to go out there, but they're not given all the PPE that healthcare workers are even? I mean, we're, we're in short supply. It's like people are being sent out to these jobs where they have high surface area contact and there's no PPE for them at all. And they're taking disease back to their families. And so, I mean, everything else, like any need in your community, whether it's hunger or shelter or diaper bank or um, what, uh, watching out for an elderly neighbor, it's like those functions, they have to be done by, you know, by everybody else, because we are so just about, you know, ramping up care capacity in hospitals. So, um, so some of those public health functions that are kind of at the bridge between the community and the healthcare system, that's being a little neglected right now by us. And that's where just the entire community at large needs to step in and fill those, those gaps. That's healthcare too. That's generally on our plate too. We just cannot attend to it. So that's, that's what I'm asking people to do is just look around the community. And if you're in a good spot, try to fill that need. Sometimes that can be done by just a little bit of volunteer work or a little bit of cash flow for nonprofit organizations that uh, simply have no way to raise funds right now. Mm -hmm. Alyssa, anything else? No, just a big thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you listen really hard, you might be able to hear me clapping at 8 p.m. tonight. <laughs> thank you guys for what you do. You know how much I love your podcast. It has given me a lot to think about and, um, and always makes me laugh, which is why I listen. Thank you. Oh, good. Good. Thank you so much, Esther Chu. And good luck today. And uh, thank you for everything. Let's get to some toasts. Is that cool with you? Because this week has... Let's toast. This week has been the worst A week. shit burger. So I, I don't know why. I've just spent like... I've had... I, I, I experienced... Okay. I watched Karate Kid 2 and I cried during it. 
because I was like, I wish I could go to Japan. <laughs> that was why I cried. I have started watching Christmas movies because like I thought they'd, well, let's say I started watching Christmas movies. I've stopped because even the worst ones were making me cry. And I was feeling very like emotionally exhausted after I forget the name of it. It was, who was it? I don't even remember. I don't even remember who was in it, but it was sad. And, but it wasn't supposed to be. Oh, it was like Diane Keaton and John Goodman and Olivia Wilde. And I forget what it was called, but I don't think it was supposed to elicit the tears that it did. Oh yeah. That's, it's just been dark. So let's, I just want to toast. I want to toast some things in addition to our states doing the work that the federal government is supposed to do. And our governor is actually stepping up where people in charge are not stepping up. Um, I have a toast. I have, I have a toast for a woman in the kingdom of the lakes. <laughs> I'm, I'm oh. um, the mayor of Chicago is a, uh, and, I, and I'm quoting a news source here, a stern lesbian named Lori Lightfoot, who um, is so serious about Chicagoans staying home, self-isolating and respecting public health guidelines around COVID-19 that a couple weeks ago, she personally drove her car around to yell at people who were gathering outside and having a social gathering. Now, the people of Chicago have responded to their mayor being a real, like, killjoy by completely embracing and falling in love with her. She's become, if if you want to, like, have uh, some joy in the afternoon, look up Lori Lightfoot memes. There've been a, It's been a couple weeks now. And one of my, one of my uh, roommates from college, two of my roommates from college actually live in the Chicago area. And one of them, our entire text conversation has been Lori Lightfoot memes back and forth. Um, she sent me a picture of somebody had printed out a picture of Lori Lightfoot looking stern at a press conference and put her on the lawn. There was the lawn one, but I saw it stuck in a fridge and it said, you just ate underneath the picture. of Lori. That's Lightfoot. funny as hell. Yeah. She's uh, people have been calling her auntie. Um, people have been kind of treating her as this like, kind of patron saint of, of doing the best thing for your community in this dark time. And she's also like, you know, she's a good mayor. She's, she really loves the city of Chicago and she is, the memes are hilarious and she, she knows about them and she's kind of leaned into it. And so a toast to Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago and to the people of Chicago, a city where I once lived and that I still love very much. So that's my toast for the week. I love Chicago too. I lived there for many years. And so my toast is to Melissa DeRosa. Melissa DeRosa is the assistant to Governor Cuomo. Now she's not his assistant. It's a position called assistant to the governor. Mm -hmm. And she is essentially running the New York state response to COVID. And she sits next to him. You've probably seen her. She sits next to him in almost all the press conferences. Whenever he can't answer something, she's like, bing, 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 and has all the answers. And, you know, so many people like Melissa are always just like in the background, getting all the work done. And she's just fucking crushing it. And I thought everyone should know the governor has singled her out as the person who's essentially running the response. And so I just, and she's like, our age. And I just fucking think she should get a shout out because she's literally getting up every morning at three o'clock and going to bed at like 11. And, you know, like Esther was saying, there is no way that people can keep doing this mm -hmm. nonstop. 
-hmm. Right. And so it's like, we just have to, I want to support her because she has no end in sight. Mm -hmm. All right. Good toast this week. Uh, Alyssa, stick around. We're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we will be joined by a third person via Zoom and we will have a new conversation about things that aren't the news. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And we're back with more hysteria. We've reached the part of the show where we're we're like a Brady Bunch uh, tic-tac-toe board of three interesting, well, two interesting people and me. Um, there's Alyssa Mastromonico, who you guys heard in the last segment. And we are joined now for the first time in a while, and thank goodness, by Dana Schwartz. Dana, welcome back. Uh, hi, I'm so happy to be back. I wish I could have been in person. Yeah, same. Who knows how long that'll be? It's going to be a while. Um I've been eating candy for lunch, guys. Oh, meals have no meaning for me anymore. Uh, Okay, Alyssa, I heard a rumor about you and some peeps. I'm not going to lie. I limit the amount I go to the grocery store. I go only when we need essentials. And the other day I bought not only a bag of marshmallows, but like the on-sale post-Easter peeps. And they're gone. There's not a peep left in the pack. You ate the whole thing. 
I did. They're delicious. They're fat free. Haven't we heard that before? <laughs> oh my God. My go-to has been, uh, dried mango, which I eat at a pace that is not human and not healthy for my digestive system. You're capable of getting into a Trader Joe's. It's the Whole Foods. Oh, hmm. Whole Foods right by my house. It's sub sub part of the to the Trader Joe's quality. But, you know, it's a pandemic where I'll make sacrifices. Yeah. I mean, the Trader Joe's near me, the last we, we were like, maybe we should go to Trader Joe's and get some of that frozen food that we like to pretend to make. And uh, it, the line was like completely all the way around the store. It was like a nightclub. It's like I'm not waiting in line for the grocery store. I can't even get drunk in there, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so we've been doing this for a, a little under a month now, this social isolation thing. And, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it feels like it's probably going to go on for at least several more months intermittently. And, yeah. uh, this week is the week where I about hit a wall and I was like, you know, the <laughs> I call it math tears, even though yes. I, even though I used to be like I was good at math, but there's like a feeling of not being able to solve a math problem. It, that's what I felt all week. It's just like this, just intense math tears. How long is this going to go? Um, when is it over? And like, when can I see my friends and family again? And it and it really really sucks. But it made me think that I think an issue that is a larger issue that matters uh, in the context of this and beyond is. Um, the issue of loneliness. I think that a lot of people before the pandemic were experiencing it and they're especially experiencing it now. And so let's just, let's get into it. I I'm kind of tired of like exclusively pandemic content, but it's kind of impossible to not at least talk about it a little bit. So Dana, I'm going to put you on the spot since it's been the longest since I've seen you, but can you, how, how are you feeling in terms of like loneliness or com like, are you feeling like you're getting enough human interaction? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Uh, math tears, I feel like is the perfect way to put it. So my, I live alone in like a studio apartment with a cat and like most of all my family, like my three siblings and both my parents are in Chicago. So I had that moment of like, do I just go to Chicago? Do I drive? Do I bring my cat? Like, what do I do? Like just that like panic, like caged animal feeling of like, no, there's no realistic way I'm staying here. Um, but yeah, like I went through a breakup pretty recently, oh, which sorry. like you'd be thinking, I mean, it's fine, but like, you'd be lonely then under any circumstances, but now I can't go like drink with my friends or like go on distraction dates. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm just sort of like, yeah, like pacing and like trying to get into a routine I'm very good at being alone because I'm a fundamentally lazy person, <laughs> but I sort of also hit it this week. It was like the one month limit of like, oh no, I need to to see another person and, and go to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alyssa, how are you, how are you doing with like loneliness and all that? I mean, thank God for you every Wednesday. I'm just number one, Oh, but thanks. no, I think it's like, I am married I, my husband's here. We're together nonstop. Um, and it's not that I'm, I'm not lonely and I, I don't want to be lonelier in a different way, but I think that, and it's not quite boredom because that's not it. I do have a routine. I still get up by seven o'clock every morning. I make the coffee. I feed the cats. I have three because once I was very lonely and kept piling them up. Um, 
And, you know, I just, but I'm, I'm, I saw my neighbor. So we live in the city part of the time, but now we're up in Columbia County and we're in the middle of nowhere, but I have two neighbors and I saw one of the neighbors going for a walk. I was in the middle of doing the dishes. I left the dishwasher open. I had an apron on. I ran down the driveway to 12 feet from Eric and Ryan. And I was like, hey, you guys, what's up? And I talked to them for 45 minutes, safe distance. And all of a sudden they're like, we think your husband's calling you. And mm-hmm. I went home and I went up back up the driveway and David's like, where were you? And I'm like, where do you think I went? Like the car is still here. Where'd you think I went? But it was like the most exciting thing that's happened in a long time. And I felt like I really just was happy to talk to people without a face mask on, because as I said, we were very distant. So my aerosoling of whatever it is was not going to happen. Um, did you feel loneliness like before this, or is this sort of a, a new thing, Dana? Um, it's hard to parse out like the combination of like breakup and quarantine because those coincided really perfectly for me. But I, mm-hmm. I am like a lonely person. I do think, cause I kind of am like an isolate, I'm like an indoor cat. So I sort of isolate, but it's a new and different thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like I, I am someone who, who gets lonely, but like, I still was like going to a job every day and seeing people and driving to work and going to a coffee shop. Like I work I like to work alone, but surrounded by other people. So like I would go to like a coffee shop and work in the coffee shop and like I knew the baristas and like saw people. So it's like I miss those mundane interactions too. Like I'm still having like long phone calls with my mom and sisters and friends. Uh, I still have a a cat here who's teetering around the microphone. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I missed like going to a job and seeing people and like going to a coffee shop and going to a restaurant yeah, like you you don't realize you you miss those interactions until you lose them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a specific type of like urban interaction because I'm a little bit like that too, where I like to, I grew up in such a small town where it's like, you can't see anybody without having a fucking conversation. And like, na- like different types, you know, different strokes, different folks, but I was never the type of person who was like, who loved like chit chat or hemming and hawing as we would maybe call it in a small town. And when I got to live, when I grew up and moved to cities, the thing that I liked the most was that I was in a big group of people and none of them were bugging me. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. And like, it's, it was so luxurious now that I'm looking now, looking back on it and missing things like walking down the sidewalk and just kind of like looking at what people are wearing and like looking at their dogs and taking a look at, you know, who's hanging out in this, you know, cafe that I sometimes get something to go from like, who's, you know, who's around, what are they doing? Like I was just, I just moved into a new neighborhood, not just, but like six months ago. And I was getting to the point where I was like starting to know people on a, like see them on the street wave kind of basis. And now it's sort of like, not really. I mean, I still will sometimes see people if I go out, but it's much more rare and it's usually just them walking and they have the mask on. So you can't tell if they're smiling or like frowning and it's just all, it's just all very black. Like I loved, like, you know, I, in, when I lived in New York, like that feeling of walking down the street or being on the subway or going to a museum and being like sur- alone, but surrounded by strangers, mm-hmm. like that is very comforting to me, that feeling for some reason. And now it does feel very twilight zone end of the world. Like, you know, I live in a 
a building that like I haven't seen my neighbors in a while because we just haven't like you know gone out at the same time I guess I haven't like you know I see strangers on the street but like you said everyone's wearing a mask where it's like fundamentally isolating because you, you don't you could have been in like a post-pandemic world, like a time enough at last situation where you, in theory you could be the last person alive. Yeah. Well, watch to the very end of that one, Dana, because it ends pretty poorly for him. You know what, Aaron? I have 20-20 vision. I'll be fine. <laughs> I don't wear glasses. What if we all, instead of wearing like medical masks, which are kind of scary, what if we all started wearing like Halloween masks? Would that <laughs> Would that make it better? Like if you saw a bunch of like, you know, Ronald Reagan's and Dan Quayle's. I don't know why I picked those out of all the rubber masks, but started seeing them walking down the street. Would it make you laugh? Dan Quayle? Dan Quayle? I, I, don't know. I don't know if I would recognize a Dan Quayle mask on site. I would. My parents had a Dan Quayle, like there was a Halloween that they went as like Republican royalty. Like my mom went as Nancy Reagan for Halloween and my dad had a rubber Ronald Reagan mask. <laughs> what? Yeah, That's like awesome. Yeah, when they were when That's they were cute. like very very young, my my mom was Nancy Reagan for Halloween. I feel like then it would just start feeling like the purge. Like I would be scared that someone's gonna like loot my house. Yeah, everyone's in scary rubber you, masks. That's that's what you're scared of in the purge is the looting. That's the. I mean, there's they're doing worse things than looting, Dana. They're doing all. Kinds Are they though? <laughs> there's like I saw I, the only purge movie I've seen is the one where they build a giant guillotine, and I'm like. That's a lot of forethought and effort for like minimal one person at a time death. <laughs> that seemed to be like a very organized, uh, you know, well thought out death. And so uh, I will not see any more Purge movies and I'll just keep that in my head forever. <laughs> um, here's something I was thinking about this week, Alyssa. I feel like I'm uh, kind of like very attuned to when I feel like people are displaying emotions that I recognize myself as displaying. I, do you think that Donald Trump is like when I get real obnoxious, it's because I'm lonely. Usually it's like I'm trying to get it. Do you think Donald Trump is lonely right now? Do you think that's why he's doing all this stuff? So, Aaron, I'm going to go with his acting out this week is sort of a version of math tears. <laughs> that, like he's straight, can't get the answer. He's like, it's not going to happen. It's not in his brain. And he's incapable of like intake of being like, that's a good idea from someone else. Maybe I will talk to them about it. So I think he's more like math tearsing it because he just doesn't have any answers because he's a germaphobe. I'm sure he'd be fucking fine if he didn't see people as long as they clapped for him once in a while outside. Well, that's the thing is he he can't get his rallies. He can't like refresh and recharge yeah, with that's like an true. echo chamber. He needs that echo chamber every once in a while just to get a little tune up. And that was one of the first things I texted Alyssa when this was starting to all go south. I was like, you know what? This is going to take away everything President Trump loves. He can't have his rallies anymore if this actually becomes a big thing. And it's it's true. Now he's like just open micing in front of a hostile press. <laughs> and, and he'll never wear, I mean, this is just my own theory. Like he hates looking weak. I can't imagine he'll ever wear a mask or want to no. be photographed. With a mask, which is a bad thing, or like gloves. I feel like he wants to always project strength. So anything that forces him to look vulnerable. But his well, mouth and his hands are his two worst features. This is an opportunity <laughs> of him, for him to cover up both of them. Uh, he could wear giant gloves. He could wear, yes, like Ronald or like Mickey Mouse yeah. gloves yeah. or like Hulk hands. He could wear Hulk, yeah. Hulk hands and give his press conferences that way. Um, 
pivoting back to loneliness. Uh, one thing that I, <laughs> that I was thinking about a lot this week is that, you know, uh, coronavirus is sort of like a giant viral plate of shishito peppers that is getting passed mm. around and we all take one and one out of every like 20 person gets a pepper so hot they almost die. Um, but at the same time, you know, loneliness is something that is very unhealthy. Um, how do you think a post or like a not post, but post first wave of this pandemic, like mental health, uh, how, how do you think people will address their mental health after this? Do you think that they will, or do you think we're like on the verge of like a, a giant national mental health crisis? I think that we're probably, we're probably in the middle of it and don't know it. I don't know if you guys saw this the other day, but Taraji P. Henson started a virtual therapy um, app, I guess it is, for the Black community where you can text no stigma to 707070 so that people can talk about what's happening and how they're feeling. So I think that this is definitely... I mean, look, we have nothing but time to stare at ourselves in the mirror. And I mean, I'm not Donald Trump or any of his extended family. I don't look in the mirror and be like, you are so fucking hot and smart. You are amazing. No, I'm like, you should really be using this time, Alyssa, to come up with things you're going to do after you got fired from everything else and come up with a plan. And it's like not a very creative environment to come up with plans. So I think that people, especially like at least I have... David or the cats to be like, you're being fucking ridiculous right now. Like, just calm down and stop. But like, I think that, you know, especially for people who don't have someone who can kind of like check them a little bit, I think that we're all sort of talking to ourselves a lot and maybe not the most positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I think the main problem is I'm spending, and I have a cat right here, Beetlejuice, <laughs> uh, just get out of there, so much time on a screen like more than ever, um, whether I'm just like staring at my phone aimlessly or watching TV or on my computer, because that's sort of the only form of human contact I'm getting or like validation or feedback. Like Twitter is now so much more important because that feels like a little community. You're like, ah, people, um, where that is never healthy for my mental health. It always leaves me feeling very drained. And then the things that made me feel good were like, just like relaxing and spending time with a friend in person without that pressure. And I even think that like Zoom calls don't fulfill that function for me because for me, like when I'm on like a Zoom, when I'm like, oh, let's catch up with a friend, let's Skype. It feels like a very, you have to be on and it feels like a very focused time where I like like the unfocused time with a friend, like being able just to like sit on a couch and do nothing together mm-hmm. where like, let's catch up, me and you, here we are face to face. Because it's so, um, like, discreet, like ETE, um, it, it it feels like another chore. And so I think that I don't know what how we're going to handle it. Or maybe once we're, start, once we're able to start socializing again, it'll go away. But that, for me, has been the biggest hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found myself getting, like, a little bit anxious before Zoom calls. Like, I okay, well, I got to have a meeting. It's like the feeling of... 100%. It's like, I want so badly to interact with people. But then when it's time, I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Could I, should I put it off? Should I do it some other time? I don't, I don't know. And it's like, cause they're not, yeah. Like you're saying, Dana, they're not like a normal interaction and it doesn't really substitute. Yeah. I, I'm, I do not like zoom calls. I get zoom FOMO, like the idea that other people are like having fun on zoom calls and I'm not, 
but I, I don't like the pressure of like being on and like, hi, here's my computer screen. This is us. Like, it feels like a weird, like, like first date or something, even with like friends that I've known for a while. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't agree more, Aaron, other than of course you, whenever I am summoned to a zoom situation, I literally think about it for hours beforehand. And I'm like, okay, so should I just say something came up, but it's like a pandemic and I'm in the house. So is anything really going to come up? Like, is that even feasible? <laughs> is that even like a like a reasonable excuse? And it's like, and then I get really worked up. And it is true. It's like when you're on Zoom, you're smiling, like your face yeah. muscles are <laughs> stiff or sore when you're done. And it feels, I guess it feels a bit fake right? It feels like super forced and fake, even though like you want to see people, but like, I hate the phone too. Really. I'm just super into email and texting, Mm -hmm. but, but like, you know, you have to check in on people and there are people who I have several friends who had COVID or have COVID and you want to like see them to make sure that they're really okay. Right. And then, and once I do, I'm like, all right, cool. I'll talk to you later. Let me know if you need anything. Especially those like big mass Zoom calls because you, only one person really can talk at a time. So it's not like you can like have side conversations and make small, small talk. You have to be like really awkwardly waiting to be the next person to hold the floor, which is a lot of pressure. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do? You put your finger up. You're like, I'm next. Are you raising your hand? Like, what do you do? And I think if you, among your friends, you you know how their face looks when they're excited to say something. And so like, I can see Dana and I can see you, Alyssa. So I know how both of you look when you're like, I have a point to make. And so you can naturally like put an ebb in the conversation. And uh, with other people, it's like, "Eh, are you going to, is it, is it time for you to, (laughs) Uh, uh, it's like the hokey pokey. It's like one foot in and one foot out. And yet this is all we have to combat loneliness, except um, I was reading this week that a lot of people are looking for like a quarantine bay. And I've seen a lot of people talking about like, oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a fuck fest when this is all over. Um, I guess Dana, not to, well, to put you on the spot. Put me on the spot. Uh, Do you, do you think, do you see that among other people? Um, Have you made any like contacts with people that maybe seemed like they were dating type overtures or are people just kind of inside for now and waiting to be outside and do that out there? I have definitely had like dating type overtures, uh, with people, but it's, it's also then hard to say whether then the, when the option of being in person, whether it's going to completely disintegrate, whether the excitement is all, uh, just the idea of it. But for me, so like I, you know, have been on the apps or like, you know, I've texted a few people, Um, but it, it fizzles very quickly because there's no way to know if you have in-person chemistry, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can talk to someone and I maybe one in a hundred people you'll talk to and you're like, this is amazing. But for most people I have found, you can like make small talk via text or phone. And until you meet in person and figure out if you're like vibing together in a normal, natural way, you don't actually know if you want to date and or sleep with them. So it's a lot of like being polite to, to strangers and enjoying, you know, casual text conversations, but being like, I don't want to sustain this. I don't want to be like, you know, polite text acquaintances with a random guy I met on Bumble indefinitely. (laughs) That's a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. Like just the awkward small talk stage of a Bumble match forever. Yeah. You know what is going to happen at the, on the, on the other side of all this around the, in the next phase after all this, 
um, is you're going to have on your birthday, Dana, like 12 texts from numbers who's yeah. you've deleted. And that's going to be like, Hey, happy birthday. <laughs> Cause like birthdays are always opportunities for guys that you connected with on dating apps to check in, to see if you're still available. <laughs> like, wait, how do I, who is this? Oh, it's, you know, Luke, we almost yeah. went on a date three years ago. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Uh, but you're you're gonna you're gonna have a real busy birthday uh, text line after this. I can't wait. The the strange thing with these conversations is you get small bubbles of intimacy. Like you can go really deep with these people for like one or two long conversations. But again, because it's still like a stranger, it's difficult to maintain that. So it's like here's a stranger who I've had you know two afternoons of genuine intimacy with, and then but in the grand scheme of things, they are a stranger on the street to me. Like there's no sustained connection there. But could you just, I mean, if it's not impossible for you to see each other in person, couldn't you just be like, I'm going to go to this corner and you go to the other side of the street at this time. And I'll wait, I'll wave at you and say, hi, should I do that? Should I try to arrange yes. like, like bumble wave speed, speed dating? I'll have one at each corner and I'll just like walk to by. Totally, totally. But make that it. That is something I'd watch on zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Please do that. Take me with you. Take both of us with you. I think that you would think, be great. Do you, I actually, you, you two are very, you know, politically tuned in. If I am wearing a mask and they're wearing a mask, do you, can you like walk with someone? What's the, what's the I mean, level of interaction? I, I would with? still six foot distance with, don't forget your gloves, gloves, gloves yes. and a mask. And I would keep like a good distance, but you know, I feel like that's okay. I feel like it is, it's like no different than going to the grocery store. Yeah. I, I feel <gasps> like maybe yeah. you should meet a Trader Joe's. Yeah. Oh, we have so much time waiting in line. Yeah. It's oh like, my God. It's like a di- you it's, can socially distance the line in. It'd be great. And then that's actually very cute. Yeah, you should do that. I think that's it. Look at we've solved it, Dana. We solved your dating life. Solved all make, the problems. I'm going to make a Trader Joe's date. I'll report back on how it goes. Oh my God. <laughs> this I, is going to be musty Zoom TV. I I feel like, you know, in, in a time that is maybe rolling social isolation for the next two years or until we have a vaccine, people are going to d- demand content. And that is going to truly be the next Tiger King. <laughs> Trader Joe's dating. Exotic, re- exotic Trader Joe. I've refused the Tiger King. It's, you know what? This is going to be a pivot away from loneliness, but I watched that show only because I was stuck inside, whatever. You know, I watched that show because, and it's not like my type of show at all, again, because of the loneliness, because I wanted to feel like I was part of a community. I wanted to get the jokes. Like the monoculture is so rare nowadays that it's like not everyone's watching Friends on the Thursday night or whatever it was, where it's like to have one thing that everyone is watching and talking about at the metaphorical water cooler made me feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's why sports, I miss them so completely. And when they were on, I didn't really like, I would, I watched the NFL or if there was a game on that was like interesting, I would watch it. But like the community, the collectiveness of watching something, but I watched Tiger King too, because I was like, well, I'm in, I'm stuck inside. I want to participate. That show is, I'm going to, you know, put on my feminist pants, pretty misogynist. Uh, Carol Baskin does seem kind of crazy, uh, and I wouldn't want to hang out with her, but I think that she's trying to do good work and she is not, and it is not fair that they gave Joe Exotic 
any type of sympathetic depiction whatsoever. He has like an army of meth slaves and he, yeah. he like, I can't believe people even find him in any way sympathetic. He's a monster and I'm glad he's in jail. And I wish one of his tigers would have eaten him. He is 100% a monster. The thing that I was like putting on my feminist head about was Doc Antle, who runs that cult. Yes. And they sort of made him like the voice of reason, even though he had like underage slave women. And I was like, I would watch an entire documentary about this man and his slave girlfriend that he, you know, emotionally abuses. As long as it ends with him in jail, I'm fine with it. But like, yeah. I was just like, yeah, it just, it just, ugh, I can't, and I can't believe we're in an era of very irresponsible documentary making, I think. Aaron Lee yeah. Carr is a bright spot of documentary filmmaking in this day and age. But she did a uh, Price of Gold and she did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's, she's great. But like this, I just was like, oh, God, why are we trying to make? And, and if Halloween happens this year, there's going to be so many idiots dressed up like Joe Exotic. And I'm going to probably drink too much and go up to some of them and be like, you know, you're a racist and a misogynist. And it's just going to be bad. That's, you know what, though, what you guys said is so true, because normally, whether it's like I have my friends at the different shops in town or my neighbor and we talk about shows and well, my neighbor has COVID, so she's resting up. And but I've gotten my husband to start watching 90 Day Fiance with me. And here's the problem. It's like trying to make fetch happen. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, come on, let's watch it. And he won't watch 90 Day Fiance, but he does think pillow talk is funny when the old couples make fun of the new couples. And there are some, he'll, he'll like be on his computer and be like, wait, what do we call that guy again? And I'm like, the sex tourist. And he's like, yeah, that's it. Oh, is that Big Ed? Yeah, big ahead. And okay. so it's like, it's become this very fun thing for me though. And I'm like, it's coming on. Are you excited? He's like, I mean, okay. <laughs> it's better than watching the masters from 2009. Yeah. I can think of almost anything would be better than watching old golf. Oh. No, but Aaron, it's like you said, I'm always stoked to watch it like as it's happening. Like I'm fine with the masters. I think it's exciting. It's like, is Phil Mickelson going to choke again? I don't know. <laughs> but like watching the old ones, it's like, that's just a bridge too far. Yeah. My, my favorite, again, like trying to find like the way a meme unites, my favorite way to like feel connected with my little sisters in Chicago is we've been doing TikTok dances together. I've been following you. Oh, very God. funny. I've I mean, it's very... It. Thank Like, I, I apologize. I'm very sorry. My little sister is like an actual dancer. Like she like dances uh, like in high school and like that was like, her thing in college and whatever. Um, so she learns them in like 30 seconds. She watches it and she's like, yeah, I got it. And then I try and it takes me six hours of heaving sweat and chugging water. But it, like <laughs> doing an activity with someone feels uh, more connective than just like zooming. It, it, it was it feels like we have a common goal. And we're working together and it made me feel very connected to her in a good way. You know what I want to see? I want to see you bust out those matching overalls that your family <laughs> all wore in that picture that you posted and do TikTok dances that way. Because I think I would like to see a, a family dance troupe, a TikTok family I, dance troupe. I keep trying because my little sister was is quarantining with my parents in the suburbs. And I kept trying to get her to force my parents to do TikToks. I feel like... Kids making their parents do TikToks is quality content, and I I want it. I want it with it might my parents. Be seen as exploitative, but I was I was going to tell you my sister also a dancer. Like 
won awards. I mean, danced with, you know, Savion Glover on Broadway. So, but I love to dance. And so you just have to tell your sister, as I do, that enthusiasm trumps skill. Yeah. Well, she very gently and very sweetly wears like the baggiest sweatpants she can and goes like at 20% to make me not look too bad. She really is like, you could tell just really keeping it in and I'm giving it my full earnest, hardest effort. (laughs) The dog barks at me when I dance. So that's all you guys need to know. (laughs) Um, Okay, guys, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk Sanity Corner. I'm Jessica Reeves, and I've been analyzing and reporting on extremism for the last 10 years, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, for an always eye-opening look inside the daily work of exposing, fighting, and disrupting all facets of extremism. My co-host, Oren Siegel, and I explore this ever-changing landscape and bring you stories of people and places impacted by extremism, those who fight to protect our communities, and those who offer new perspectives. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Before we get to Sanity Corner, a little bit of housekeeping. The coronavirus pandemic will make voting in person unsafe for months, if not years. And if we want to make sure Election Day is safe and accessible for every voter in every state, we need to do something now. That's why we're asking you to call Congress this week. Congress is back in session and will vote on a fourth coronavirus relief package. We want them to include at least $2 billion in safe election money to ensure that no one should have to choose between their right to vote, and their health and safety. This will be used to require states to invest in vote by mail and early voting and make in-person polling locations safer for everyone. We get that calling anyone, let alone Congress, can be daunting, so we launched a new call tool on Vote Save America that will help connect you directly with your reps and give you a script to help you out with what you need to say. Check it out at votesaveamerica.com slash call, and please, if this is important to you, make those calls. The future of our democracy could depend on it. And welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we talk about ways that we are making ourselves feel normal during this extremely weird time. It is Sanity Corner. Um, I guess if you have a Sanity Corner, listeners, and you want to let us know what it is, you can record a 30-second voice memo on your phone and email it to us, hysteria at cricket.com. You can also just write us a email and email it to us that way also. Um, so I'm going to get started this week, my Sanity Corner. Um so I, Alyssa, I told you a little bit about this, but I have been rewatching or watching for the first time, eighties and nineties, big budget popcorn movies. I'm talking total recall. I'm talking alien. I'm talking karate kid. I'm about to make Josh watch, watch the warriors for the first time, which he hasn't seen. And I think that's a seventies movie, but you know what I mean? Like big, fun, stupid movies that, you know, you, as soon as they, the credits start rolling, you can like smell the movie theater butter almost like it was made to be enjoyed in a big old AMC and, uh, like total recall. God, I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger could explain the plot of that movie. If you asked him to, if you asked him to, and you were like, I, I will take the most important thing in your life away from you, unless you can explain it, he would not be able to explain it, but so much fun. It's fun to just sit down and like watch a movie like that, like an old Arnold movie. This is so embarrassing. I watched for the first time also, uh, 
the first Indiana Jones. I've never seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's a that's a fun fun movie. I'm that's glad. a fun. It's a it's a rollicking. If I can use the word roll, it's a rollicking film. It's so fun. Yeah, definitely. So that's my sanity corner this week. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that I can include on the list. I guess like what's the one with Jamie Lee Curtis that Arnold Arnold is in Predator. No, but I will watch that one. Also, Minority Report. We watched Minority Report. That was another good po- like popcorn adventure movie. Like, I mean, any any of the Mission Impossible. I feel like when Tom Cruise is in action hero mode. Yeah, you got. I mean, it's impossible not to love him. We recently watched Top Gun, and it was like, what a movie star. He's good at his job. He's really good at his job, and apparently is a very nice guy too. Which you know, problematic, but great. Anyway, so that's my sanity corner. Um. Alyssa, do you want to go next? Yeah, because I'm going to sort of pivot off of yours because once you said that, it really helped me to drill down into the escapist pro-winning movies, you know? And so I've watched all the Rockies, okay? (laughs) And it's great because, so like where we live, we only have one television. So either you're going to like put headphones on and go to the bedroom and watch on your iPhone or you're going to find something to watch together. So we have watched all the Rockies. I scream at all of them. It's like as if I don't know that Sly Stallone is going to win in the end. You know, it's like the when I went to go see Secretariat in the movie theater and me and all the five-year-olds were screaming like he was going to win. And like, that's actually the whole fucking point of the movie. But I didn't know that. <laughs> Wait, so you I'm didn't know that he's running like a tremendous machine. You didn't know about that whole. No, Aaron, it was years ago. I was very fucking busy on a campaign or something. I didn't know the story of Secretariat. Okay. And you know what? Good for me because my joy was pure and unbridled in the movie theater. Unbridled. <laughs> unbridled. It's a pun. <laughs> yeah. Who follows 1920s horse racing? It was, okay. First Hello. of all, it was the nine. It, it was, was like the 50s. It was the 70s. Later. It was, it was the 70s. I'm Alyssa, a baby. you were alive. You were alive when it happened. I was alive. I was. If I was alive, it was the 20s. <laughs> the So, because you know, and I've said every week that my sanity corner is like baking and teaching myself to do things, which continues, you know, that it goes on. Like I've conquered bagels. Now I'm learning how to do shit outside. I sprayed for weeds this week. I went to the Agway. I bought the right weed killer. So we'll see if that works. I'll send pictures, but I did that. But other than that, Rocky. And then I also have to put forward the movie Miracle. Hmm. About the 1980 hockey team, I've been very partial to it my whole life because their match, the U.S. hockey team's match in the Olympics against Russia happened on my birthday, February 22nd. Hmm. And it's like the greatest thing. It's like it's like everybody's overcoming shit and it's like, fuck the Russians. And so uh, I love that movie and it makes me cry and feel good every time I watch it because I pretend like I don't know they're going to beat Russia. Mm hmm. That's a that's a that's a heavy pretend, but if you can do it, I, re- I respect. <laughs> so you. my sanity corner is just suspending what I know to be true. <laughs> uh, Dana, what's yours? I do not. I can't cook or bake in my apartment because it's a very very small bad kitchen. But I still obsessively watch Bon Appetit Test Kitchen cooking videos. I find them very calming. I feel like they're my friends. Um, <laughs> I have formed this imaginary community with the members of the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. I have strong opinions on all of their strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> so, so I feel like that's been my sanity. 
Um, but also in terms of like doing a thing, um, that I'm not good at. Um, I am not good at guitar, but I have a guitar. And so I'm teaching myself chords very slowly to songs that I like to sing and alone I'm doing like sing-alongs for myself, which is, has been very cathartic. Oh, that's That's awesome. I love that. And you know, you like, this is, I mean, I'm going to show off, I'm showing, showing my vanity right now, but it's like quarantine. So nobody, like you can cut your fingernails super short and like get the calluses and learn how to do it. And that's, oh, that's so exciting. And also part of like living alone is like, I'm bad, but no one is hearing me or paying attention. So I can just like only play the embarrassing songs that I want to learn and just like practice as long as I want and just like sing like a, like a 14 year old in my bedroom. Most rock and roll is like three chords. So as I'm figuring out, not too hard. Can Can you do Stairway to Heaven yet? No, no. I, well, I haven't, that's not like my, that wasn't my, my embarrassing place I'm starting where I was going I was going this is now sure I'm showing like a little bit of my chemical romance and like show tunes (laughs) that's like my my musical taste I like my show tunes I love show tunes and I like musicals oh that's that's great well I'm gonna make you play guitar next time I see you in person I'm gonna be like bring your guitar tell me how your Trader Joe's date went and, I'll probably uh, be so good by then. You're going to be a rock star and you're not going to need dating apps because the, the men will just come to you. That's how being a rock star works. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Alyssa Mastermonico, thanks for Zooming in. Thanks to Dana Schwartz for also Zooming in. And thanks to Esther Chu for the great interview. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. And there will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 